Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum more. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Punch It. This is episode six. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and with me, as always, is... Tristan Riddell. This week, I am super excited. We are going to talk about one of the hottest shows of 2016, and that is Stranger Things. Stranger Things by the Duffer Brothers. That's right. You've never heard of them. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is absolutely true because I tried to do a little bit of research on these guys. After watching the show, I thought, gosh, what else have these guys done? And the truth is, not much. Yeah, they wrote some stuff for Wayward Pines, which no one has seen. And they wrote and directed the movie, the 2015 movie Hidden, which even less people saw than Wayward Pines, and it's so absolutely amazing that these guys, now I'm not saying experience breeds creativity, but it can sure as hell help, and Mm -hmm. these guys just absolutely knocked it out of the park because this was their baby, this was their show, their creation. I believe they wrote most of the episodes, if not a lot of them. Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, I believe they had quite a hand in the development, the execution, everything with this show. It's very much their baby. Mm-hmm. And again, before I learned anything about these guys, I thought maybe these guys would be a little bit older than they actually are. Because for those of you who have not watched Stranger Things, pause this. We're going to spoil the heck out of it. Come back when you're done watching the show. But if you are up to speed, here we go. It takes place in 1983. And so I thought this was maybe their homage to coming of age in that era. Not so. These guys were born in 84. Yeah, they're basically your age, right? Like just a little bit older than me, like just by a couple years, right? Right. They're born right in between us. I was born in 81. Oh, that's right. That's right. I Yeah. I, yeah, so... I'm way old, man. Come on. Way old. Ancient grandma. Yeah, my hips. So yeah, I was born in 86. And so I just thought it was so cool that people from the millennial generation, as it were, were able to do something so successful and be such a throwback that you may, that you think that these people are older than they are, but really they were just barely raised in the 80s and really just became their own people in the 90s like I did. But there's still that, you know, even though like you're a 90s kid, quote unquote, you can still appreciate all the pop culture and the references from the 80s because it's not like that decade, you know, stops existing <laughs> like once you get into the 90s or the influences of that decade I should say right no. and so yeah this was this uh season this show was very much a love letter of Steven Spielberg and Stephen King of the 80s very much so and stylistically 
Man, this thing is all 80s. I mean, it looks and feels as if it were being produced in 1983, for sure. Yeah, there is one thing that kind of upsets me to the point of, oh man, if you only did this, you could have taken it over the edge, and that's if they shot it on film. Yeah, well, I think we have to forgive him on that front. That just is not happening in this day and age. Oh, come on, come on. That's completely untrue, 100%. Really? People are still shooting on film? For real? Tons and tons of people are still shooting on film, including television and movies. Oh, very much so. Okay, examples. Uh, well, a one major blockbuster, maybe you've heard of it, The Force Awakens was shot on film. Oh, it was really? Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay, I didn't know. Clearly, I did yeah. not know. I had no idea people still were using film at all. I just thought digital age has taken over. No, that it's become a stylistic choice, but digital is much cheaper. And if you're Netflix and these two guys who have very few credits come to you and say, we have an idea for a sci-fi show set in the 80s, uh, you're going to go, okay, uh, here's some money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I'm sure they're going, okay, well, let's use digital so we don't have to buy film. You know, I'm I'm sure it was a cost-cutting maneuver. And they they did several different things to make it stylistically 80s. I mean, there was like the intro, for God's sakes, is is very much 80s, very hardcore 80s. Oh, totally. Look and feel the music, everything. Yeah. And so they, they a lot of the shot selection, a lot of the ways that they use the camera is very 80s. And so they made up for it. I'm just saying it's that one, that one thing that I kind of wish they were able to achieve just to push it over the edge. <laughs> okay. Well... As a very, I don't know, I'm not as much of a video junkie as you are necessarily. (laughs) I didn't even consider that as a possible thing, even. I just blindly accepted that as being that. And everything else was so stylistically on point. I mean, I don't know, even if they had, I don't know if it would have made that much of a difference to me. I don't know if it would have added any appreciation to me. Now, for you, I think definitely so. But for the rest of us, eh? Yeah, for your your average watcher, like person who's not in production or not a film nut like I am, like, yeah, no, it wouldn't have made that big of a difference to 90% of the audience. You are right. Well, and of course, like you said, with this being Netflix, as successful as Netflix shows are, I imagine they're still on the lower budget side of things overall. Yes? I actually don't know that for a fact, but I get that feeling because... I remember reading an article about the set design for House of Cards and how they do a lot of amazing scope shots with very little money. They do achieve a lot with a little money, but House of Cards is actually extremely expensive. So it's mm, like okay. I, I was kind of hoping you didn't use that as an example because I was about to say, I was like, yeah, for the most part, except House of Cards. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's take Orange is the New Black, where they are, where it takes place in a prison, and it actually probably does cost a little bit to make things look so worn down and dirty. And well, from a shooting standpoint, Orange is the New Black is extremely cheap to make. Okay, well, there we go. There's my primo example that I was uh, trying to fetch. <laughs> it mainly, you know, it mainly takes place in one location, the prison, mm-hmm. and the indoors is all a set. And so they have complete control over what hours they shoot and when they shoot and everything like that. And so these people who are acting are relatively unknown, except for a few outliers here and there. So, you know, like salary, you don't have to put too much into salary. Yeah, although I would say that a lot of the cast members have definitely gotten bigger 
as the seasons have gone by. But yes, they're not commanding multi-million dollar salaries. Like maybe, for instance, like Kevin Spacey. I honestly don't know how much he makes, but I imagine he's making a little more money than uh, even our wonderful Kate Mulgrew, Captain Janeway now playing Red on Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, there's a difference between Kate Mulgrew and Kevin Spacey when it comes to success and recognize, you know, like- (laughs) I imagine so. Notoriety and everything like that. Anyway, coming back on point, Netflix- Uh, likes to diversify their content. They want to buy things, but they want to buy things and make a profit. And so they do try to go on the cheap end, but if you get super successful, they will throw more money at it. With Stranger Things, this was one of those things where they're just like, okay, these people came, they had a dream, they had an idea, they were smart about how they wanted to execute it. And so Netflix gave them a chance and it paid off in spades. This was the hit show of the summer. Oh, absolutely. I had so many people just raving about this show, going nuts over it. And I felt for the first time in quite a while, actually, that maybe I was missing out by not watching this show because I didn't really start watching it until, oh, maybe about a month ago. I finally had the time to sit down and just take it in and see what it was about. But over the summer, I had coworkers and friends, and of course the internet was ablaze with, ah, Stranger Things, Stranger Things, ah, la, 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 you gotta watch it, you gotta watch it. And uh, one of the ways that a friend uh, described it to me was, it's like as if the X-Files had been written and shot in the 80s, which I totally agree with. What do you think about that? I, you're not the first person to say that, and you won't be the last. I don't see it in the least. Really? I don't. I am a huge X-Files fan. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm looking at the seasons, the original box sets, by the way, on my <laughs> shelf right now, and I've seen it countless times. And with Stranger Things, I feel like it's just one long episode. Like, it's a... It is a miniseries that doesn't stop for eight hours. Uh-huh. And with the X-Files... Even with the mythology episodes, those are still self-contained episodes. With Stranger Things, everything kind of bleeds together. I couldn't tell you, oh, that happened in episode six, or oh, that happened in episode three. It's all one story to me. And yeah, there's some investigation, but that's not the cornerstone of it. It's really just the it's these kids trying to find out what happened to their to their friend. And uh, some people getting in the way and they're like, yeah, you could say that X-Files is about Mulder trying to find his sister. But I think tonally it's very different. The uh, overall arc is very different. I think that no characters feel like Mulder and Scully to me. So I don't know. I don't get it. Okay. You make a couple of really good points. No, there is not really a Mulder and Scully pairing. Like maybe the closest thing we possibly get is uh, the sheriff and Joyce. But not not even. Yeah. Not even close. Because they're doing a lot more than just investigating. Like, toward the end, that's a little bit of what they're doing. But there's a lot more happening before that and after. Yeah. But then also, yeah, writing-wise, there is no such thing as a self-contained episode in Stranger Things. You're absolutely right. It just goes on and on and on. And I absolutely agree. If you point out a certain event, I can't tell you if it happened in episode three or episode five. It just all sort of melds together in this ongoing story. And that's maybe where 90s storytelling kind of influenced X-Files, where these things are self-contained. And you're going to get, I I would say, more of a variety of strange and paranormal things as opposed to stranger things. I feel like the only reason why people say that is because it has an older feel to it and it's paranormal. 
you know, the X-Files was in its heyday in the 90s and it was paranormal. But the thing is, I feel like Stranger Things ups it a notch with the paranormal where, yeah, X-Files was weirder, like it had weirder creatures, but Stranger Things was very in your face about it where like, this is real, this exists, there is no question about it, there is this monster and this is where it lives and it's in an alternate dimension and in the X-Files, there was always that doubt of, is it this, is it not? It was kind of like the adult version of Scooby-Doo where Scully was always waiting to pull off the mask at the end and for those guys to say, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you darn, you know, FBI agents. And Mulder is always the one who's kind of like Shaggy where they go, it's like, no, it's real. It's out there. The truth is out there. But with Stranger Things, it is very much, this is an actuality. They just have to discover it. That's true. But there is this conspiracy type thing going on with the government in both series. You're right. That's true. So there is that for sure, but I do agree that Stranger Things is much more in your face about it. There is no denying that it's happening. You do have me on the conspiracy, though. You do have me on paranormal and a conspiracy to cover it up. You do have me there. There's definitely those parallels, and I do feel that as the seasons go by with Stranger Things, I feel that it will unfold probably a little more straightforward-like than The X-Files. I feel like we're going to get... More questions answered while also raising more questions. But Stranger Things won't take quite as much time as X-Files did to do that. Because X-Files was sort of frustrating in that sense. It was almost like the more that we learned, the more questions we had. And then it went on way too long, in my opinion, the show. Oh, oh my God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of tried to wrap things up, but it didn't do a very good job of it. No, no. But let's talk about the positives that is Stranger Things. Because I could tumble down the rabbit hole that is the x-files and so we will we will do that another time where we can talk about the writing of the x-files yes let's do that and let's talk stranger things because there's so much good stuff here the first thing i want to bring up is these child actors okay this is a huge feat happening before our eyes the stories center around these kids that are maybe 12 13 years of age but their level of acting is master of the craft And to get that with all of these kid actors, stupendous. Yeah, it is. And I think that's a definite... I mean, these kids are talented. There's no way around it. No doubt. I have worked with child actors and I friggin' hate working with child actors. It's horrible. It's like sticking a knife and fork in a blender. You know, it's just (laughs) loud and there's lots of pain. It's... I'm pretty sure I stole that analogy from somewhere, but I'm not quite sure where. But it's it's horrible. And so, and I don't actually like watching kids in TV shows and movies. Like, if the kids are the main actors and the main characters, I'll probably turn it off. And so, when I started Stranger Things, and it was clear that the kids were going to be the main focus, I kind of dragged my feet a little bit. I was just like, oh, no, this isn't going to work. I'm not going <laughs> to like this. And then I started falling in love with these kids and they became the best thing about the show. The only thing though, the only criticism is that I think what makes these kids great is the fantastic writing from the Duffer brothers and their writers. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, what makes it a little weird is that these kids are way more mature than you would be at 12 and 13. Absolutely. (laughs) No doubt about it. These are very disciplined, very professional Young actors. And if they did not have that, I think the show really would have failed 
Because I think what you might have been alluding to a little bit earlier was a lot of times if kid actors have a huge role in something, it sort of starts to show through the cracks that these are kids. Yeah. And that's not to discredit them, but there's a lot of times they're still learning. They're still becoming disciplined because they have not been around that long and they're learning their craft mm-hmm. and they're just they're trying to nail it through their experience. But with these guys, none of that's there. And to get that for all of these characters, not just one, not just two, but several kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I would love to know more about the casting process and how this happened and how did they find these wonderful kids? Because they're all so fantastic. Especially Eleven. I mean, she's... Oh, yeah, she's great. ...is Millie Bobby Brown. And she is... uh, I think she was definitely the fan favorite. I think uh, a lot of people attached to her. And uh, she she just has a few credits. I mean, like, a lot of credits for how old she is. I mean, she's... I think her first thing was in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland as young Alice. Okay. And the show Intruders. She was in NCIS, Modern Family, Grey's Anatomy... And then she hit Stranger's Things. And so for even though she's as young as she is, she's been acting since 2013, and she is 12. <laughs> right. And she's got some pretty good names attached to her screen credits. So that's pretty awesome. Now, do you think it's not just the talent of the actress, but do you think it's also the character that she plays? Well, the character is really fascinating because with the character of Eleven, the less she says, the better. Yes. And... So because it, she's mysterious and she is adorable but badass at the same time. And so I don't want to say it's easy to write. I, I don't want to say it's, it would be easy to write for this character because it's all in the visuals, which really lends itself to the director, cinematographer, and the actress. Mm-hmm. But with, uh, with the writing, you have to trust your actress. You have to trust your director and your cinematographer. Yes. And so th- like this character is the embodiment of the cohesive and collaborative nature of writing to delivery, writing to production. And I just real quick, we'll get back to the characters, but with the writers, since this is a writing podcast, <laughs> the writers that the Duffer brothers chose almost had no experience. And it's fantastic. Only one of them out of all of the writers besides the Duffer brothers had any experience. And that was Alison Tatlock. And she wrote for the show In Treatment and was a producer on Halt and Catch Fire. And the other writers like uh, Justin Doble, Jessica Mackenberg, Jesse Nixon Lopez, these people, like one of them was an executive assistant before they came on as a writer on Stranger Things. Nice. And that just... That just pleases me so much. (laughs) Me too, because this is giving these guys the chance to break into the business should they do so, should they want to do so. Yeah, absolutely. If they want to continue writing. I mean, Netflix took a chance on the Duffer Brothers and the Duffer Brothers took a chance on these writers and now they have the hit show of the year. That's so amazing. It's sort of like they paid it forward because they were given a chance. They're giving a chance to other people. How cool is that? I love these guys. I don't even know them. I don't know what they look like. I've never seen a picture of them in my life. Uh, To be be honest, I've tried not to do too much research on the show because I want to avoid spoilers as much as I can for season two. But the thing is, I love them. And I will definitely be back for more, more, more. I see these guys as people. I'm going to follow them through their whole career. Whatever they do, I'm going to be interested in it. Now, we have talked about a lot of positives with the writing and how it affects the characters. Some people have given some criticism to Winona Ryder's character, Joyce Byers, 
mainly with the writing, not so much her performance, because a lot of people have said like, oh, wow, this is Renona Ryder in a return to form. Nobody did a poor job in the show. But mm -hmm. a lot of people have said the character of Joyce Byers was extremely repetitive. What do you think about that? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To be honest, I didn't notice that. Did you? Uh, yes, a little bit. I did I did a little bit, but I feel like that was a trapping of the story because I feel like you could take that a couple different ways where you can say like, oh, they didn't know what to do with this character and so she's repetitive or they're showcasing the helplessness that this mother feels because there's not really anything that she can do and she people think she's crazy because she's trying to communicate through Christmas lights. Right. And she's staying at home. She's not leaving. She's constantly buying a new phone because it's getting shorted out. And so that character has to redo a lot of these things because things get burned out or lights get burned out. And like because she's going a little mad, sometimes you repeat yourself when you're mad. And so I don't know. I feel like it can be seen both ways. Okay. I have a feeling that if and when I do watch Stranger Things again, maybe I'm going to notice the repetitiveness a little more because I've only watched it once through at this point of when we're recording this. Now, in a way, though, I think I didn't notice it this first time around, not just because it's a fresh experience, but also when somebody is in a weird neurotic space like this, like you said, they do tend to do repetitive things. Maybe that's just the nature of who she is. But then also, yeah, she is sort of spinning her wheels trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. So yeah. maybe some people saw it as repetitive, but I saw it as sort of a progression of trying to figure out what was really happening from her perspective. Yeah, I think that's definitely the much more positive way to look at it. And that's the way I choose to look at it. Well, there we go. <laughs> I like that. So what else do you like about Stranger Things? We've talked about the kid actors. We've talked a little bit about the writing. Should we talk a little more about stylistically how this is so very 1983? Well, I mean, when, I, when you say stylistically 1983, the first thing that pops in my head is the music. I friggin' love the music. I love the music so much that I bought the album on vinyl. You hipster. I know, I know. It's, it's super <laughs> hipster because what I did was I watched a TV show that streams on the internet that was shot on digital, takes place in 1983, uses a synthesizer for its music, and then, you know, all digital, and then reproduces that on computer, puts that onto a digital track, and then puts that onto a vinyl record. <laughs> presses it and then ships it to me and then I play it off of the needle and then I'm just like oh yeah dig that warm 1980 sound it is so <laughs> utterly pointless and ridiculous but yet I did it well you recognize the weird thing that's going on here <laughs> how things have shifted between 83 and 2016 <laughs> and maybe even I don't know not quite the hypocrisy of it but 
just how incredibly twisted this has become. But this is the world that we live in. And I'm not criticizing. I'm not, I'm neither here nor there on vinyl. <laughs> but it, it, it does sound very hipster, if you ask me. That's the only thing I'm going to say. According to a, a couple of, um, I don't know if this was an interview or not. I haven't checked my sources. But it's been said that a lot of the soundtrack has been an homage to Tangerine Dream, Vangelis, John Carpenter, Fritzy, mm. and everything like that. So, like, people who were really big, you know, in previous decades. And it was just, it was completely on point. And also, that theme, oh, mm. my gosh. Oh, it's so good. The best opening theme I've seen in a long time. I never skip ahead. Never, never, never skip ahead, ever. Not a single time. Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, that synthesizer that music, that theme, it's going to be, it's going to become iconic. Yeah, I think it's well on its way. And, you know, like I made it my ringtone, like immediately as after I, I got it out. Yeah, it's just. Did you? It's, it's, and that I think that's wow. the main reason why I bought the album was just so that I could hook it up to my sound system and play that opening theme. Aha. Uh -huh. I gotcha now. I gotcha. Yeah, well, and it's, it's very freaking good. And visually, yes, all the sets are very 1980s. The camera direction, I think you mentioned earlier, very 1980s. The way it has zooms and spotlights on singular characters. I feel like that's very 80s. Yes. A, a lot of that, like uh, like we said before, the camera work, the the style, the, even the text, like the opening text that says Stranger Things and then the chapter text is taken from a Stephen King novel. You know, a cover of a Stephen <laughs> King novel that came out in the 80s. Yeah. And... Like, it's a really fascinating story on how they made the opening titles as well. Like, everyone should should Google that because the company who made it has made a lot of opening themes. And so they know what they're doing. But it just it just goes to show the, the meticulous care that the Duffer brothers took from everything from the conception of the idea all the way up to the text that they use for the opening theme to sell this product and sell this feeling. Yeah, oh, you can definitely tell that they have been very thorough and definitely made meticulous planning in how they wanted this show to go. Uh, and I don't know if you, do you know if when they presented this to Netflix, did they have a whole season laid out or was it just a proposal? I have very little information on that. Okay. Netflix is very limited when it comes to their behind the scenes process. They don't advertise how much they spend on shows. They don't advertise viewership that much. I didn't know if that was a well-known detail or not, because I have the impression, and I could be entirely wrong, of course, but I have the impression that they had probably like a vast majority of this first season already planned out and had an idea of where they wanted to even take it from there. But I feel like they had to do all that legwork just to sell it, to make it come off that genuine. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you said. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they definitely had an idea of where they wanted to start and where they wanted to end. And that's what they pitched Netflix, if I could guess. Right. Completely yeah, guessing. complete conjecture could be absolutely wrong. But based on just how things have played out after watching it, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, speaking of that, I have a question for you. Yeah, do it. I knew nothing about this show. Absolutely nothing when I watched it. I just knew that people were enjoying it, but I had no idea the premise. I didn't know the actors in it. I didn't know the story. Nothing. I knew nothing about it. I watched it, and I was so glad that I was able to get that blank slate. Now, as I was watching it, and as we started getting to the last episode and the last moments of the episode, I was asking myself, would this benefit from the story ending here and season two would just be another story, another set of actors, 
not taking place in Hawkins, Indiana, doesn't have Will Byers, doesn't have Eleven, just brand new story. What do you think about that? No. Okay, why? <laughs> the reason why is because they did a wonderful job of making it feel like a complete chapter. The season f- does come to some resolution, but there is so much room to keep answering unanswered questions and to build the story that they started. I feel like there's definitely room to keep going. Now, in the future, I think it could be interesting if they do take the show into a completely different location, direction, and then eventually tie these two things together. You know, bring maybe like the first half of the story in Hawkins, Indiana, and then wherever they go after that, and then tie it together to show this much larger arc of things happening on a broader scope. Okay. But we're not at that point yet. I feel that season two is going to still be continuing what they've started. And they need to. They need to keep building, keep going with the intensity. We need to learn just a little bit more. And uh, then you know what? Then it wouldn't surprise me if, in fact, it does branch out. Because I, from what little research I have done, I have learned that they've already ordered a season three. So we know the show's going to continue, <laughs> even though they're filming season two right now. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And I'm not saying I'm upset or, or angry that we're going to get a season two with these characters and continue the storyline. I'm excited. Okay, I love these characters and I love the storyline. Don't get me wrong. But... I like the idea of an anthology show, and the reason why my brain went that way is because when we started going to the end of episode eight, which is the last episode, and we found out that Eleven is still out there, that she's alive, that she's somewhere in the Upside Down, maybe, Mm -hmm. that's when I was just kind of like, okay, that's a cool, cool thread that could be left hanging, that could leave the audience dangling. But then once we got to the dinner scene, and then we saw Will Byers cough up a slug, that's when I go... Oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to get a season two with these characters, with this storyline. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. No doubt, right? (laughs) Yeah, there was no doubt, not a shadow of doubt in my mind. And part of me was like, "Mm, I think this could make a really cool anthology show. But the other part of me is like, I understand people want what's familiar and people like a continued story, not one that's wrapped up in a show where like kind of like American um, horror story or something like that. Sure, sure. I mean, I don't think I'd be sad if they did end up doing an anthology style show. However, I don't think that is going to be the case. And it's not. It's it's 100% not going to be the case. Like we know that for sure. It's true because all the characters are coming back and they are adding to the cast with some new characters. But one thing that I thought we ought to do as we get close to closing the show is talk about the titles because we have the chapter names for season two. (laughs) Why don't we predict What's going to happen in season two based off of no other information, because I have none, just on the chapter titles. All right. And maybe see if we can maybe make an outline of where the season might go and then come back to it after season two debuts and see how far off the mark we were. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So chapter one, Mad Max. Now, this instantly makes me think of the movie and that may or may not be intentional. It's a story of Will Byers and his friends on the Fury Road. Trying to rescue Eleven. <laughs> They're in the desert. And, you know, all these all these uh, machinations are coming after them. There's a dude with, you know, like playing guitar and le- fire's coming out. And uh, no. Um, no, I, no, I have no idea. Probably um, not. It doesn't seem to really fit the style. But <laughs> I, I have a feeling maybe it's going to translate and where this is sort of like, it, it's not post-apocalyptic really, but it's going to maybe be, in my mind, it's, the conspiracy of trying to cover the tracks 
that have been uncovered. Because more people know about what's happening now in this laboratory. People know that something's up, even if they didn't, don't have all the information. I think there's going to be a massive cleanup effort to try and hide what's going on. I think that storyline is mainly going to be hit upon in the second episode, The Boy Who Came Back to Life. Hmm. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's entirely possible. Of course, it might be a, a big story about why he's coughing up slugs, too. So <laughs> we might learn a whole lot more about that and what that means for him and why that's happening. Like, is there a certain point where like, if you go to the upside down, like, are you just, are you just doomed to do that now? Or who knows? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, like we saw a, uh, a slug come out of Barb's mouth when she was dead. Right. And we saw Will cough one up. So I think that is some sort of effect of being in the upside down. And when I see Mad Max, I honestly have zero clue what that would mean or how that would go. Maybe it shows that, like, these kids are on their own. They're not the heroes that they thought they were going to be. And so they're going to be loners like Mad Max. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's something. I feel like I'm reaching here, but maybe it's something like that. I think you might be, but it's probably going to be so much more clearly alluded to us than we can conceive of right now. Like, as soon as we see it, we get it. Yeah. 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 We're going to have to watch it to fully understand why in the world... This is the chapter title. So Boy Who Came Back to Life, uh, we talked about that a little bit. Any more thoughts on that? No, I really just think that's it's Will adjusting back to life, you know, in the town. And I feel like it's the, we heard that there's going to be one char new character who is a conspiracy theorist and who is an ex-journalist. And I feel like this is going to be his introduction where he's investigating the boy who came back to life. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's our Fox Mulder type character yes. coming into play here. Who knows? We'll see. There you go. Yeah. So chapter three is titled The Pumpkin Patch. That's not much to go off of. Well, like my brain for some reason immediately goes towards when I think pumpkin patch, I think location, I think nature. Uh -huh. and so that makes me think the, like near the woods. And that makes me think 11. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I I feel like maybe this is the resurgence of 11 maybe this is how 11 comes back where like if we can put egos in a box in the woods and she gets them maybe she can come out of the pumpkin patch i don't know <laughs> right maybe the pumpkin patch is another portal to the upside down and maybe that is where 11 yeah. is kind of coming and going uh that seems entirely plausible why not sure but then we have chapter four which is the palace which that is actually where I was theorizing we find out where Eleven is, what she's been up to, and what's going to happen from here with her. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I feel like this is, like if Pumpkin Match could be a connection to Eleven, I feel like the palace could definitely be something along the lines of this is another location that has some sort of significance to the Upside Down. Sure. The other thought I had was maybe that is what they're calling the laboratory where they're conducting the paranormal mind experiments yeah. that just what is the name of the just the evil creepy guy the white hair oh uh i call him matthew modine i have no, <laughs> i can't remember his. okay fair enough i don't remember his name right now but martin brenner dr okay brenner. dr brenner yeah i feel like that's what he calls the place i uh, could be yeah it could be a connection to the hawkins laboratory yeah absolutely maybe I don't know. I'm going with you on that one. Yeah, that's a reference to the love. Okay. All right. Chapter five is the storm. This is where I think that you know what's going to hit the fan. 
That was the exact phrase I was gonna use. I was gonna say, I was like, this is when the shit hits the fan. That's pretty much all I can think of for that. Like the, the storm is somehow the truth about Will Byers is released or something like that, where the conspiracy is made known or his sickness is made known, or maybe Eleven comes back and she's pissed. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Eleven with a vengeance. Yeah. I feel like that's gonna sort of set the stage for the rest of season two. That's gonna be like the focal point where we know what direction we're heading and Things are going to be set in motion, and uh, you know what's going to get real. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now chapter six. This is, uh, I got nothing on this one. The polywog. Uh, well, a polywog is a tadpole. Oh, okay, so maybe it's the slug creatures. It could be. It could be the slug creatures. It could be, may- like, when I think tadpole, I think growth. I think infancy. I think something that mm. has small, be- big things that have small beginnings. And so maybe you're right. Maybe the slugs that Will keeps coughing up, maybe they eventually grow into something. Well, right. And they're going into the sewer system right now each time he coughs one up. So what are the ramifications of that? Yeah. We've got to figure out what's going on there. And maybe this is making like, yeah, maybe those are baby monsters or something. Yeah, could be. Could be. Mm, Okay. So maybe there's a little more to that than I anticipated. Okay. That could be interesting. Chapter 7, The Secret Cabin. This one is all reminiscent and evocative of, you know, those horror films with the cabin in the woods. Totally, right? It's very much that. And so Byers had Fort Byers, Mm -hmm. that little shack-like thing in the woods. Maybe there was something else, you know, like maybe there was another meetup place in the woods. Maybe Will is not the, maybe Eleven and Will are not the first people to interact with the Upside Down. That's entirely possible. Yeah, I kind of see the secret cabin as like some weird sanctuary to be planning, to meet, something or another. Yeah. Who and what about, probably don't know yet, but it does seem to me as a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Chapter eight, the brain. My brain, when I hear the brain, immediately thinks of a new character. I think of an individual who's called the brain or is who who is incredibly smart like another kid who comes into the mix mm. who helps save all the other kids because he or she is so intelligent now that's entirely plausible because we know that there is going to be an addition to the cast well actually there's several additions but one of them is another kid oh that i didn't know i didn't know that oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to spoil that for you no but that is happening there is going to be more to that And I don't know anything further than that at all. I just know that that's happening. Very cool. Well, maybe this new person is the brain. Maybe. Also, you could take it in a very literal sense of what is happening to the brains with paranormal abilities. Mm. Mm. Could be. Can Eleven sustain this lifestyle? Can can Eleven sustain that kind of power usage? Because we already know that she hemorrhages whenever she uses her powers. Absolutely. And toward the end of this season, the more that she uses her powers, the more drained she gets. Like she has to recharge. What if there's some serious long-term ramifications of using paranormal powers that they don't even know about? Yeah, absolutely. So there could be a lot there. (laughs) And it could be something entirely that we've not talked about whatsoever. These guys are creative. They're probably more creative than we are. We could be completely off track. But that leads to chapter nine, The Lost Brother. The Lost Brother, I'm leaving this one to you because is there a third Byers brother we don't know about? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I think there might be, I think this might be more of a link between the Upside Down and our quote-unquote real world 
again, this might also have something to do with one of these missing kids who have been taken for experimentation, whether that is a main character or somebody new. I have no idea, but I have a feeling it's going to change not everything that we know about the story, but it's going to turn a lot of things on their head. Okay. Because I see season two for some reason being much more of a cliffhanger. I don't know why. It's just my inclination. And so I feel like there's going to be some massive twists. And yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I, well, I can't argue with that. So uh, yeah, there you go. Later in 2017, almost a year from now, we'll have to come back and revisit this. Replay what we've said today and see how wrong we were. <laughs> so horribly wrong. Or perhaps <laughs> how right. You never know. All right. Well, I really enjoy talking Stranger Things, and I'm super glad that you liked it as much as I did and that you finally got around to watching it. Finally, finally, finally. Sometimes I do this where I hold off and I hold off and I hold off, and then finally kicking and screaming, I just finally go down to it and realize, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. I should have watched it a long time ago. I'm glad that you sort of pushed me to watch this show for this podcast, because otherwise maybe I'd still be dawdling on it. Well, speaking of something else that I'm forcing you to watch that you're going to love... Because we just came up with a great idea to give you even greater content, and that is we're going to do a season-by-season season analysis of Gilmore Girls Yes. as you watch it. Now, you have never seen Gilmore Girls. I've seen it a bajillion times. Yes, this is going to make an interesting kind of dichotomy. You as the very experienced repeat watcher, me as the first-timer going through it with Brand new eyes. I mean, I really, honestly, I know the show's been around for a while, but I have never seen an episode. I don't know what it's about. And I know that you and the girl just talked about the reprisal on the latest Nerd Nuptial. So everybody ought to take a listen to that. And uh, yeah, we're going to do it season by season. That way it gives me a little bit of time to do it in parts, but we still produce content for Punch It. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that now. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, like you said, we're going to do it season by season, focus on the writing, because when I pitch it to other people, when like especially when, when dudes come to me and they say, like, oh, it's called Gilmore Girls, why would I want to watch it? I say, get rid of that old-style thinking and watch the show, because one of the best things about the show is the writing and the delivery of that writing. That's very important to this podcast. Absolutely. Well, where could we find you online, Shar? You can find me on Twitter. My handle is oh the profanity. And how about you? You can find me on Twitter as well at the insane Robin. You can also find me elsewhere on the network. As you just mentioned, I host another show called Nerd Nuptial with my wife, where we look at geek life through a married lens. So everyone should go to thenerdparty.com and check that out because we have tons of other great shows. We got new content coming to you every single day of the week, so please go to thenerdparty.com, as well as give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenerdparty. Also, you can find us on iTunes. Please, please find Punch It on iTunes, and uh, please give us a review. You can give us any review that you deem worthy, but if you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. And speaking of which, we already have some reviews that have started to come in. We will mention all of y'all next week. And one other thing that you can do is you can go to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty. Oh my gosh, I am super excited about this month's edition of Loot Crate because this theme is revolution. Ooh. Any of you who've listened to the Nerd Party know that our tagline is join the revolution, join the nerd party. Well, another way you can join the nerd party and the revolution is by getting this Loot Crate themed box and you can get 
this great geek subscription box for less than $20 a month. It's got exclusive Pop Funkos, T-shirts, uh, you know, action figures, comic books, tons of great stuff like that. You have until the 19th of this month to get this specific themed box by going to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty, enter in code nerdparty at checkout, and you'll save even more money off of this already well-priced item. Now, this is a great gift idea. Nerds can be sometimes difficult to buy for. This is a great gift for them, and it helps out the network. So please do that. Well, Char, that's our show. I think it was a good one. I had a fantastic time talking Stranger Things. Can't wait to revisit it in about a year. And so until next week, let's get ready to punch it. Punch it! Hashtag justice for Barb. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.